Hello and welcome to the Battle Cry podcast with Mark Meckler. Go to conventionofstates.com slash pod to learn more. And now, here's the Battle Cry with Mark Meckler. This is Thanksgiving week, which I'm pretty excited about. I love Thanksgiving. I love the whole meaning behind Thanksgiving. I love the idea of giving thanks. I'm so thankful for everything in life. I have so much gratitude. Dennis Prager says gratitude is the most important thing that we can have in our lives. It portends well for pretty much everything else happiness generosity kindness all these things are required it requires that you're you have gratitude so thanksgiving is that week it's a family week for us we always do thanksgiving here at my house my mom makes absolutely the best turkey in the world i know you're gonna say you do or your mom does your grandma does but you know i know the truth is hard to accept it's my mom my mom makes the best turkey so we're gonna have a turkey and a ham we're actually we don't have a big family we're gonna have the biggest Thanksgiving we've ever had here. I think we have 17 people coming as of right now in our count, maybe 18 people. For us, that's a huge Thanksgiving. So I'm pretty excited about that. It's been a crazy week in the news and there is one thing that is completely dominating the news. And what is that one thing? Anybody? Bueller? Anybody? Okay, that one thing is Kyle Rittenhouse verdict. So look, I'm pretty wound up about this whole thing. I've been wound up about this whole trial. There's a lot of reasons I'm wound up about it. So I want to kind of go through it and I want to dissect a little bit of what happened. And when I say what happened, not just the trial, but what leads up to the trial and how do we get to where we are today? Because I think it says a lot about our society and I think especially it says a lot about our media and our politicians and where we're at. And I'm going to be blunt. I'm going to start with this, how evil they are. There's a lot of bad stuff that happened during this whole process leading up to the Rittenhouse trial. Verdict came out the way it should have, but everything else kind of before that was really bad. And we have people to blame for that. And I'm I'm not one who just likes to point fingers of blame, but these people have blame. They're evil. They hate America. They hate the rule of law. We got to do something about this. So let's go back to the beginning. You know, when I talk to a lot of people about the Rittenhouse trial, I don't remember where this came from. Like, how did... How did Kyle Rittenhouse end up in Kenosha, on the streets of Kenosha, with a rifle, trying to defend property? Why was that even necessary in the first place? So let's go all the way back to the original incident. The original incident is that the police are called to the home of Jacob Blake's ex-girlfriend. Now, for those of you who forget the story, and this is important, the story is this. Jacob Blake is an alleged rapist, right? He is He has alleged to have digitally penetrated this woman against her uh, will, against her consent. And he's been charged with this, so felony rape, essentially, right? And so the police are called because he shows up at her house, he's threatening, he's scaring her, and so the police are called out for this call. And they tell Jacob Blake to essentially stand down, turn himself in, and instead, he refuses to listen to the police. By the way, number one rule, police tell you to do something, you do it. It always works out worse for you if you don't do it. So he doesn't do it. He won't listen to police. He goes to his car. He reaches into his car. He gets a knife in his hand. They're yelling at him. They're yelling at him. They're yelling at him. He won't do what they tell him to do. And he ends up getting shot seven times, ultimately paralyzed. Okay, so let's remember, you have a guy who's a bad dude, goes to threaten his girlfriend. The police are called. He's shot because he has a knife and he won't listen to police. And how is this painted by our media, right? The elite journalists in our media. The way it's painted is it's painted as there are a bunch of 
white supremacist racist cops who shoot an unarmed black man in the back. That's the narrative from our media. It's a lie. It's an absolute total and complete lie. Not even withholding judgment. They don't, they don't even wait to see what happens, right? This is the narrative that comes forth from our media. This is what our media does every time they possibly can. It's intentional. They want to do this. And so by doing this, what they do is they foment racial unrest. And what's that racial unrest lead to? It leads to rioting in the streets of Kenosha. And I want to be clear when I say rioting, what I mean by rioting. It leads to violence. It leads to property destruction. It leads to large swaths of the commercial portion of, of Kenosha being burned to the ground. Now, the business is being burned to the ground. They're owned by the community. They're not owned by people who shot Jacob Blake. They're not owned by people who are doing anything wrong. They're people who actually serve that community. Those businesses get burned to the ground. I want you to think about this. Who caused that? Did the police cause that? Nope. Did Jacob Blake even cause that? As bad of a guy as I think Jacob Blake is, the answer is nope. Who caused that? CNN, MSNBC, NBC, ABC, all the left-wing blogs, all the left-wing news sites that said that this was another racist incident. These were white supremacist cops, racist cops shooting an unarmed black man. That's who fomented this violence. And to be clear, they did so intentionally. They know exactly what they're doing. They know damn well what will happen. They know the script they're playing and they know what the result will be. So the city erupts in violence. There are riots, there is property damage, there is vandalism. All this stuff is going on. And what does the media do? Do they say this is really bad, the city's, no. <clears throat> they're out there, you can see them saying this is mostly peaceful protest. The friggin' city is burning, right? People are being injured. I mean, this is an absolute disaster economically, socially for the city of Kenosha. Nothing good comes out of this. Nothing. And who's responsible? The media. You know, a lot of people on the left got bent out of shape when Donald Trump said that the media, the mainstream media, was the enemy of the people. Well, they are. They are. I'll say it bluntly. I'll say it boldly. I'll say it over and over again. The mainstream media, NBC, CBS, ABC, MSNBC, uh, Daily Cause, Vox, all these places, they are enemies of the American people broadly written. These are the people that are causing the violence that causes the city to get burned to the ground. Why does Kyle Rittenhouse end up in Kenosha? This is important. He ends up in Kenosha because Jacob Blake does something violent, threatens a woman, the police get called, the guy, Jacob Blake, refuses to listen to the police, gets shot, and the media foment the violence. And you have Kyle Rittenhouse, who goes to Kenosha to protect property and to provide emergency medical services in the event that anybody's hurt. Now, one of the things that you'll hear the media say in their narrative is absolutely absolutely unequivocally untrue. Kyle Rittenhouse is a white supremacist, right? There's no evidence has ever been presented ever. Nothing, not a shred of Kyle Rittenhouse being a white supremacist, let alone any sort of racist, let alone having any racial animus whatsoever. In fact, Kyle Rittenhouse goes to Kenosha to protect private property. 
and to provide emergency medical services should someone be hurt. Now, so the media plays that falsehood about Kyle Rittenhouse once he shoots people in self-defense. Let's add some other things that they say that are completely, provably, absolutely, unequivocally false. They say that Kyle Rittenhouse broke the law by traveling across state lines with a weapon to prevent to to shoot people is actually what they say. The reality is the weapon that Rittenhouse uses is in Wisconsin. And though he lives in Illinois and they say he traveled across state lines, let's get our geography correct. He lives about 20 minutes away from Kenosha, Wisconsin. Not only does he live 20 minutes away, but his grandparents live in Kenosha and he works in Kenosha. He has a job in Kenosha. So this is as much his community as the place he lives. So this idea, idea that Kyle Rittenhouse traveled across state lines, yes, he did technically travel across state lines, but he traveled from his neighborhood to another neighborhood. The geography is close to the state line, so he happens to travel across state lines. But they want to sound to you like he drove halfway across the United States to engage in a community where he had no business engaging. And I want to say, just for the record, even if he had, thank God there are people like Kyle Rittenhouse that are willing to stand in the face of violence, in the face of aggression, in the face of illegality. So Rittenhouse goes to his own community where his grandparents live, where he works. The media now is painting him as some kind of interstate transgressor doing something illegal by crossing a border. I want to also be clear about this. These people care he crossed a border? Like These are the people who don't believe in borders. They don't believe in the borders of the nation. They believe that criminal, illegal aliens, criminal, felon, illegal aliens, rapists, murderers, drug dealers should be able to freely cross the border of the United States as if there were no border. And they're worried about Kyle Rittenhouse crossing a border. Okay, so that's just absurd and ridiculous. And the reality is he just crossed over into his own community. So he goes there. He gets a rifle once he's there and he goes to protect private property. And he does so, if you watch, in a very responsible way. We have it on video, right? And until he is threatened, he does nothing he does not use deadly force. The videos are clear. Like, and I was willing to withhold my judgment until I saw the videos. But he is chased by a mob. And the first guy he shoots, let's remember, is not only a felon, he is a convicted child molester who has done prison time. And I'll be frank, like, I don't wish death on anybody, but the world is a better place without that guy in the world. I'm not going to say his name because I'm not going to honor him in that way. He was a convicted child molester who attacked Kyle Rittenhouse, and he got shot for his trouble, and he should have. See, we have an absolute right of self-defense. Where does that right come from, the right to self-defense? Is it the Second Amendment? It's not the Second Amendment. Is it in the Constitution anywhere that we have the right to self-defense? That's not where it comes from. Your right to self-defense is one of the most basic rights that you have as a human being, and like all the rights the basic rights you have as a human being, the fundamental unalienable rights, they come from God. Kyle Rittenhouse didn't sacrifice those rights because he was 17 years old. He didn't sacrifice those rights because he was from Illinois instead of residing in Wisconsin. None of you, none of us sacrifice those rights. We always have the right to defend ourselves from death or great bodily harm by another. We have that right. Kyle Rittenhouse had that right. And it was he was attacked when it was very clear the guy was trying to take away his gun and he shot that guy. That was the quintessential self-defense. 
And then he tries to get out of there. And he tries to turn himself into the police and a mob follows him and a mob attacks him. And what happens at that point? Somebody points a gun directly at his head, standing at point blank range, and Kyle Rittenhouse shoots him. Shoots him in the bicep, essentially at close range with his AR, just like vaporizes the guy's bicep. And it's the appropriate thing to do. And he doesn't miss. And I want you to understand, I'm not sure anybody out there could be this calm, cool, and collected the way Rittenhouse was. He put he put ammo, he put lead on target. He didn't shoot wildly. He didn't spray bullets into a crowd. He put ammo on target when he was threatened. Another guy tries to bash him in the head and actually does hit him in the head with a skateboard, and he shoots that guy. It's legitimate. He's being assaulted. He's in legitimate fear for his life. It's I would have feared for my life. You would have feared for your life. Anybody in that situation would have feared for their lives. And Rittenhouse feared for his life. He testified as such. It was very obvious. If he hadn't feared for his life, it would have been ridiculous. It would have been stupid of him not to fear for his life. And so now you have all these things happen. We've all seen the videotape. If you haven't seen the videotape, I recommend you go watch the videotape. So he's out there, he's defending property, then he's defending his life. He, in the process, ends up taking two lives and injuring one other. These are all totally justifiable shootings in self-defense. And what does the media say? They call him a vigilante. They call him a white supremacist. All kinds of horrible things. These, by the way, are slanderous statements. They're defamatory statements. I think they're actionable defamatory statements because the footage exists. It's very obvious he's defending himself. These are not statements of opinion. These are statements of law. And so I think he has a case. So now we get into trial, right? Why did we get to trial? Why did we ever get to trial? All this video evidence exists. The testimony exists. I think this prosecutor, one of the most vile, disgusting human beings I've ever seen. I mean, I watched him. He's an experienced prosecutor. He knows better. He should have never brought these charges. You watch him and he puts witnesses on the stand and the witnesses end up being witnesses for the defense. All the witnesses, the major witnesses that the prosecution puts on end up being witnesses for the defense. The guy that gets shot in the arm says he was pointing a gun point blank at Kyle and that Kyle Rittenhouse didn't shoot him until he pointed a gun at his head. That's a witness for the defense. This prosecutor deserves to be disbarred, disbarred, and I hope that they go after his license. I personally think a guy like this for the prosecution, for malicious, malicious prosecution, should be in jail. He abused the legal process. The left was willing to sacrifice an 18-year-old young man's life, life in prison, for what? For a narrative. What's their narrative? Like, what, what was the narrative? The narrative is that somehow... Kyle Rittenhouse is a white supremacist. This is weird because he's white, yes. All the people injured or killed by Kyle Rittenhouse are white. You have a mostly white jury. You have a white judge. You have a white prosecutor. And somehow this is now about race. How does this get to be about race? White people, white shooter, white victims, white judge, white prosecutor, and it's about race because they got nothing else. Because the left has nothing left because they are so dishonest. See, but what happened here is that truth prevailed. 
Doesn't always work this way, but often it does. I say there's a truth discount. In other words, what I mean by that is it takes a massive machine, massive infrastructure, massive spending of money to spread a lie and to maintain a lie. It's difficult. Right? A lie begets other lies and other lies and other lies. You have to build this whole superstructure to support a lie, but the truth stands alone. See, there is only one truth. There's not my truth and your truth. There's not perspectives on the truth. The truth is the truth. It's one thing. And the truth in this case is that Kyle Rittenhouse was honest, was straightforward, did what he had to do to defend his own life, was doing something good and righteous. And by the way, I'm going to say something some other people on the right won't say. He was a hero that day. He was a hero. We need more people in our society that say, I'm willing to go stand up for what's right. I'm willing to put my life on the line. I'm willing to go out on the streets to defend life and property. How is that not heroic? How in a society today can we look at that and say that's not a heroic thing to do? I think it is. And I know there are people who disagree with me. Kyle Rittenhouse isn't a hero. He's a foolish kid. He shouldn't have been there. I don't agree with that. I'm glad Kyle Rittenhouse was there. And I wish there were a lot more of them there. You know, we saw riots way back in the Rodney King days in Los Angeles. And the stores that survived were people who armed themselves who protected their private property. And I think this is incredibly important stuff that we feel that we are able to do this because you know what's going on right now? The police are not doing it. We're seeing this in cities like Kenosha. We saw this summer before last where there were six weeks of riots where cities were being burned, stores were being looted, and the police were doing nothing about it. They were being told to stand down by our political class. So the idea that Kyle Rittenhouse goes out there, is he foolish? I don't think so. I'm not suggesting you do that. I'm not telling anybody to do it. But I'm sure glad there are people like Kyle Rittenhouse that are willing to put it on the line. I think that's imperative. What would you do for your family, for your community, for your city? Would you go out and defend? I would. I wouldn't count on the police because, frankly, at this point in American history, I'm going to say something that might, again, be unpopular on the right. I don't trust the police. I don't trust the FBI. They, they are now political pawns. I don't trust our military anymore. And you shouldn't either. We on the right for too long now have said, you know, God bless our military. And I still say that, but we trust them and we have faith in them. But the brass is corrupt. We say that about our police and our first responders. I grew up in a law enforcement family. My mom was a cop in LA. And then later on in Northern California, she was a sheriff's deputy. I don't trust the police, broadly speaking, anymore. Because I know too many departments where the brass... The, the leadership doesn't stand for the officers on the line. The politicians don't stand up for the officers on the line. And so the force itself has become corrupted or influenced by those forces. It's a tough time we live in. This is a tough talk. I never thought the day would come where in my life I would be saying, don't trust the system. Don't trust the rule of law. Don't trust justice. Because generally speaking, that's where I'm at right now. Now, all that being said, pretty incredible what the jury did against all the pressure that was put on them against being followed by a reporter from msnbc against unconstitutional stuff being done by the prosecuting attorney attorney the jury came out on the right side gives me great hope it gives me hope to see a jury do the right thing in the face of all that pressure and all those odds 
By the way, I think that judge should have sequestered that jury. He did not do that. But the jury, under all that pressure and against all those odds, exonerates Kyle Rittenhouse. So what happens now? In my opinion, Rittenhouse ought to sue the prosecutor for malicious prosecution. Now, I've been told by people who know a lot better than me that that's a very difficult case, almost impossible, based on sovereign immunity. I think he ought to be sued anyway. I think the process ought to be used to punish him. I think bar complaints ought to be filed against him. I think he ought to be removed from his position. By the way, Governor Tony Evers has the authority to remove the DA in Kenosha County, in Kenosha, Wisconsin. He should remove the DA. He can't remove the ADA, the assistant DA. Uh, what was his name? Binger, who, who prosecuted it. But he can remove the DA, and he ought to remove the DA. And anybody who's running against Tony Evers for governor ought to recommend and say that they would remove the DA if Evers won't. It's time to do that. And then the new DA, whoever he is, ought to remove that assistant DA. It's time for justice to really, really be done. So I think that's where this goes next. I also think that Rittenhouse ought to sue every single person who said he's a white supremacist. That's defamatory. I think he ought to sue every person who said he's a murderer. That's defamatory, especially the ones that are saying it after he's now been exonerated. So I think the reason that those things have to be done is because we must exact a price for bad behavior. If we don't exact a price for bad behavior, then the bad behavior will repeat itself. itself. And I think that's really important. But again, I'm hopeful. And I'm hopeful because I think the radical left in this country is overstepping and they're losing the moderate left or they're losing them in these school board fights. Everybody knows that it's a bad thing to teach kids to be racist, but that's what the left wants to do nowadays. Divide people by race, teach little kids to be racist. They want to teach little kids that men are women and women are men and both are neither and you can be whatever you want and that it's none of your parents' business. And the average person knows that's insane. The left in this country, the radical left, they've gone insane. They're freaking nuts. They're out of their minds. They hate America and they want to destroy America. This week is Thanksgiving. And what are we giving thanks for? Well, what I think we're giving thanks for is everything that God has blessed us with for our very lives, for a chance at salvation, for the fact that we live in the greatest country ever to exist on the face of the earth. That's what Thanksgiving is about for me. It's about family and faith and country and privilege and blessing and acknowledging all of those things come from God. That's what Thanksgiving is about. I want to give you a little bit of the actual history of Thanksgiving because I think that people don't know enough about this. You know, we, we talk about Thanksgiving, we celebrate, but what is Thanksgiving really? What's the actual meaning of Thanksgiving? I think we need to know because it did not actually start with the pilgrims. That's not, that wasn't a Thanksgiving celebration. The first Thanksgiving, the first Thanksgiving proclamation in American history is 168 years after the pilgrims. And there was no mention of the pilgrims, by the way, but there was mention of God. In October 1781, when General Cornwallis surrendered the British Army at the birth of the nation to Washington, the victory also demonstrated an act of God. Heavenly protection could be the only explanation for the fledgling continental forces to win out over the world-class British Army. But in fact, throughout the war, Washington credited Providence repeatedly for the Continental Army's success, even joking in a letter to his brother that he'd be obliged to turn preacher following the war. Eight years after the triumph at Yorktown, George Washington was inaugurated as the first president of the U.S. Less than six months into his presidency, Washington made the first Thanksgiving proclamation. So it comes from the father of our country, the indispensable man. 
The words of that are as important today as they were when it was written on October 3rd, 1789. I'm going to read them to you. I don't normally like to read what I'm doing in the battle cry, but I want to read these to you. This comes from the President of the United States of America, a proclamation. Whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits, and humbly to implore his protection and favor. And whereas both houses of Congress have by their joint committee requested me to recommend to the people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many signal favors of Almighty God, especially by affording them an opportunity to peaceably establish a form of government for their safety and happiness. Now, therefore, do I recommend and assign Thursday, the 26th of November, next to be devoted by the people of these states to the service of that great and glorious being who is the beneficent author of all the good that was, that is, or that will be, that we may then all unite in rendering unto him our sincere and humble thanks for his kind care and protection of the people of this country previous to their becoming a nation. For the signal and manifold mercies and the favorable interpositions of his providence, which we experienced in the course and conclusion of the late war for the great degree of tranquility, union, and plenty, which we have since enjoyed, and for the peaceable and rational manner in which we've been able to establish the constitutions of government for our safety and happiness, and particularly the national one now lately instituted for the civil and religious liberty with which we are blessed, and the means we have of acquiring and diffusing useful knowledge, and in general, for all the great and various favors which he hath been pleased to confer upon us. And also that we may unite in the most humbly offering our prayers and supplications to the great Lord and ruler of nations and beseech him to pardon our nation on other transgressions to enable us all, whether in public or private stations, to perform our several and relative duties properly and punctually to render our national government a blessing to all the people by constantly being a government of wise, just and constitutional laws discreetly and faithfully executed and obeyed to protect and guide all sovereigns and nations, especially such as have shown kindness unto us, and to bless them with good government, peace, and concord, to promote the knowledge and practice of true religion and virtue and the increase of science among them and us, and generally to grant unto all mankind such a degree of temporal prosperity as he alone knows to be best. Washington signs it given under my hand at the city of New York, the third day of October, in the year of our Lord, 1789. Imagine a president today saying that. The president, the first president of the United States of America, giving all glory to God, all thanks to God, all credit to God, expressing his profound and unyielding belief in the hand of providence in the founding of this nation. Today, we have so many in this nation that don't believe that, so many in our government that don't believe that, that believe that the be-all and the end-all is essentially them as individual human beings. Whatever they want, whatever they believe is the truth. Washington knew better. Our founders know better. And I know that you know better. I certainly know better. My family knows better. We owe everything to Almighty God. I started with Kyle Rittenhouse. I will finish with Kyle Rittenhouse. And it all ties together. God gave you the right and me the right and all of us the right to defend ourselves. The right to self-defense is a fundamental, unalienable human right that comes to us from God. Not from a government, 
not from a president, not from a dictator, a ruler, a king, a monarch, certainly not from Joe Biden. You have an unalienable right to defend yourself. And I would add from my perspective that you need to learn how to do that. If you don't know how to use a firearm safely, you should learn to how, how to use one. I spent this afternoon myself personally at the range with my daughter and her husband practicing, honing our skills. We all have concealed carry permits and we all carry firearms and we know how to proficiently use them. We live in dangerous times. We live in times when we, we may be called upon to defend ourselves. Your police department might stand down. You might find yourself in a situation where it is only you between the bad guy and your family or only you between the bad guy and your own potential harm or death. And that means that I thank God that he gave us the unalienable right to defend ourselves. So my call to you today, if you don't already have this, is learn how to use a firearm safely. You can go to Patriot Academy. You can sign up for constitutional defense courses. Go out to Front Sight. Lots of people come out who've never used a weapon before. Men, women, young people, they come out, they get comfortable. And what they do is they learn to execute on that unalienable right of self-defense. I thank God for that. Thank God for my family. Thank God for my salvation. I thank God for this incredible United States of America. And to close, I thank God for you. Because you're out there and you're watching the battle cry and you're in the fight. And I know that means that you're a patriot who is going to step up when the clarion call comes. I love you all. God bless. Have an incredible Thanksgiving week with your family. This has been the podcast version of The Battle Cry with Convention of States Action President Mark Meckler. Originally aired as a live video broadcast on Convention of States Facebook and Convention of States on YouTube. Check out more content at conventionofstates.com pod and become part of the solution that's as big as the problem. Thank you for listening.